Hello, everyone. You are listening to New Polities Podcast. I'm Maria Brandel, a research assistant and fellow here at the New Polity Think Tank. So I've got a couple of things for you today. The first is an announcement that from here on out, we're moving to an every other week format for the podcast. And the basic reason is that it gives us more time to think and do our research and produce a journal, but also to have a lot better uh, podcast for you all. So I think that'll be really helpful. Um, the second thing is, uh, giving you a heads up of the next couple episodes that you are going to be seeing. Um, it's called the Catholic social difference. And for some of you, this will be totally new. And for those of you who have been around since the very beginning, this will sound rather familiar. And that's because these are throwback episodes to the original podcast right back from the beginning. This was, um, before we were uploading anything to YouTube. So there are no videos, um, and this is actually back before we were New Polity, when we were called Post-Liberal Thought. Um, so why are we doing this? Why are we going back to the beginning? Um, we've gotten a lot of uh, new new listeners, uh, a lot of people jumping into the middle of the series, um, especially the Good Money series, and then are left asking questions like, okay, this is this is great. I'm really rethinking things. Um but where where is New Polity getting this? Where are they coming from? What's the framework? Um, and when we were thinking about how do we, I don't know, kind of like address that, uh, the, the answer, well, really was to go back to the foundation, um, go back to kind of what started it all. Uh, so going back to these episodes gives us a chance to um, get the stuff that wasn't on YouTube uh, out again. And then also, I think, to provide a basic framework and foundation for the way that New Polity is approaching all of the topics, whether it's gender or politics or power or tyranny. Um, it all comes back to, I think, um, a few a few conversations that we had at the beginning. So you're not going to see all of them, um, but there's uh, a few in particular that we thought were especially helpful for articulating the direction that New Polity is coming from. So today, what we're going to be taking a look at is the biblical foundation. So the series is called um, The Catholic Social Difference because uh, Catholic social thought, Catholic social teaching, especially from um, the encyclical tradition of the church, is really is the framework for the way that New Polity is approaching all of these questions. And so um, what we really want to do is get into the mindset of the popes and the mindset of those documents, and it comes in a... Um, it's kind of twofold, uh, and it begins with the biblical foundations, the biblical outlook and anthropology that the popes are writing from. So that's what you're going to be hearing today. We're going to look at two episodes together. The first one is beginning in Genesis. It's called Creation is Political. So that'll give us our Old Testament foundation, and that'll move um, pretty seamlessly into the second one, which is on the political Christ. So Christ's uh, mission and what that has to do with politics. Uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. It's been really great, uh, fun for me to go back and listen to those original ones. Um, and I think you'll find it really fruitful. And with that, I think Josiah can cue up the original intro music. We need to build societies that are not founded on the violent presuppositions of liberalism, but on the peace of Christ. To do this, we need to acquire a fresh, spiritual way of thinking beyond the boring categories that modernity has to offer. Catholic social teaching is this fresh way of thinking. 
I'm Jacob Fried Imam. From post-liberal thought, this is The Catholic Social Difference with Andrew Willard Jones. Andrew, thanks for coming. You're welcome. Thanks for having me again. You teach a class on social doctrine at Franciscan University, and I was thinking that it would be extremely helpful for us to have a proper anthropology, as it is anthropoi, people who make up a society. So if we're having a larger podcast on political theology, that it would be proper to have a good starting place as the people who make up that polis. It is. It is. It's, an, it's essential. I begin my classes always with a exploration of anthropology, sort of fundamental anthropology based on scripture. So what, what does Revelation show us who we are before mm-hmm. we start talking about our politics? And, and really, I think that the underlying anthropology is often unexamined in political discussions. Hmm. Most of the time it's unexamined. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's a right. shared assumption about who we are and, and what we're like socially. And then we yeah. argue about particulars and that is the bulk of our political discourse. So if you're trying to offer any sort of sort of more radical critique, often I think backs into a, a difference in fundamental anthropology. Totally. So if we can at least give some indication of what a, a Catholic anthropology would be here. And or always oriented towards the political question, because that's what we're doing here, right? So the place to start is Genesis. The right? beginning. In the beginning. Yeah. Right? That's what I always say. We start in the beginning. And so I'll read a section out of Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So, it's famous, we all know this, there's a lot going on here, but for our ends, the thing we need to focus in on first is that man is created in God's image as a society, social. So we're created in relationship. Male and female were created. He created us in his image. Male and female, he created them. So male and female in parallel with the Trinity. Male, female. And then the next step is reproduce, right? Go, yeah, reproduce. So there's, so the point, the, so yes, it's Trinitarian because there's, there's a relationality that's fundamental to our nature that is fundamentally fruitful, right? So mm-hmm. it produces another, right? Beautiful. So it's a, it's a fundamental relationship of three, at least. There's been a long tradition of, of seeing a Trinitarian thing here that has been dramatically brought to the fore again by by St. John Paul II and his theology of the body and some of his some of his work. But for our purposes here, what I think we, that that relationality is fundamental for us to see because what we need to see from the very beginning is that society is not an assembly of individuals. Right. We don't we don't first have the individuals and then assemble it and then talk about society. Rather, the society is primordial. So, so we reverse the procedure. Instead of saying we have, we have an idea of what individuals are and then what's society? Well, society is a bunch of individuals who are grouped together in yeah. this way or that way. Reverse it. Human beings are fundamentally social. Now, what does it mean to be an individual? That's the question. Not what is society. Right? Mm. Like, like the question is, well, how does an individual exist as a member of a society because we always are, because that's our nature. We're relational in our very in our very imaging of God. Except for Adam prior to the creation of Eve, maybe. 
But the whole point of that story is that that was inadequate. Right. Yes. Right? The whole yeah. point of the story is that Adam wasn't complete right. without Eve. Yes. He needed okay. Eve. Right. So we're relational fundamentally. The individual exists within his relationships. So man is man because of woman. What is he? You can't answer the question without bringing up the other one. It's like the words father and son, right? Like in order for someone to be a father, the word father itself contains the idea of a son. Right. Yes. And the way mm -hmm. the word son itself contains the idea of a father. Right. And that that's the way man and woman are. The point I'm trying to make is that's the way we are. It's hard to conceptualize. In a sense, I mean, the the father and the son isn't so much because there's, right. there's an action to get to that point. And there's a real... I think I think the way I do it is that what we mean by man mm -hmm. is a human being that has a certain relationship to this other thing called woman. Yeah, that's a right? great I point. I mean, that's like what we mean by it. Yeah, yeah. Um, same with woman. And, and what we mean by when we start saying man and woman, I don't think we even evoke those words without also evoking the notion of family, of children. These are not independent concepts. They're one concept. So when uh, Ben Shapiro says that you know what a man is by his chromosome... He's wrong. He's just he's just wrong. It's, tr it's sort of true in some sort of superficial level. It's just not really significant of a right. point. Yeah. So right off the bat, we want to propose a social anthropology that is opposed to the kind of Lockean liberal notion of society coming together through self-sufficient autonomous utility maximizing individuals who then make a decision to come together so you know that that's just not that's not what happens yeah that's not who we are mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. are social prior to being us so that's the first level of attack there <laughs> where the anthropology is different but then there's also this idea in the same passage of mission so adam and eve are created with a mission to subdue and have dominion over the earth and to, and to reproduce, to multiply. So they're made for something. And for um, a rather grand action. Yeah, right? changing the world. Changing the world, right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a massive mission. And it, and it is transformative of the world. Right? The world, when you, when, you have, when you subdue and have dominion over it, you're changing it. So, so the, the, the thing I want to bring up there is that they're created in a temporal world of change. Even had they not fallen, there would have been a history. We would have been wow. able to tell the story of what mankind did. That was part of our initial creation. It's part of the way in which we image God, in fact, because we are creative and, and, and have freedom. Right. right. So we do things. Okay, so we talk about relationality, sociality, and, and between husband and wife, we're, we're really, in, in human society, there's a sort of horizontal understanding of that, right? Like man to man, people to people. Yep. But there's also in that creation story a vertical relationality. Mankind is created to have dominion and to subdue, right? The, that which is below him, we might say. This idea comes out even more in the second version of the creation story. Right. I'll read a paragraph. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no, er, no herb of the field, or herb, I should say, of the field <laughs> had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of, du of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. All right, so 
what I want to get at here, what I want us to see is the vertical relationality. Yeah. Coming out with the plants. Let's look at the plants. Yeah. So why were there no plants yet? No plant of the field was yet on the earth. They had not yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain yeah. on the earth. And there was no man to till the ground. Now, if you're familiar with the hierarchy of being, the, the, tr the traditional understanding of the hierarchy of being, where you go from God to the angels, to man, to the animals, to the plants, and then to the things, the inanimate things like water. That's what you're seeing here, right? So in order for the plants to spring up, they require water, which is below them in the hierarchy because yep. they drink the water. And they require what is higher than them in the hierarchy, man, to till them and to keep them. Now, the cumulative effect of all this is to show how the, the different aspects of creation, the different things that are created are themselves not in isolation. They all are in relation to They're one They're in another. relation to one another. Yeah. They require each other, right? The, 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 the water is there for the plants to drink. Yeah. The plants are there for man to till and to keep, right? And the traditional understanding of hierarchy is this dynamic relationship Similar to the way we were talking about like father and son, yeah. right? Like what is a man? Oh, a man is this type of thing that tills and keeps things, right? Like that's a part of what it means to be a man. What is a plant? Oh, a plant is something that drinks water and t is tilled and kept. Yeah. Right? So wow. they, things are in their relationality, in their relationships to each other. Yes. Um, so this is interesting, just as a quick aside, right. medieval monasteries, they're, part of their formation of the new monks was simultaneously of the head and of the hands right because they had this robust anthropology that you're illuminating for us now that part of what it is to be man is to actually participate have relationship with the lower segments of the hierarchy the inanimate world the and the and the animals the and the plants, plants i mean and the animals, i mean yeah. so, so this is the subduing and having yeah. dominion right the subduing like for some reason it's it's so aggravating modern like modern liberal christians read subduing and have dominion and think therefore we don't have to we can like destroy things and use it up and pave it all and cut down all the trees and use it because we yeah. and it's like whoa you're really missing the point yeah like the whole point is that our mission is to fulfill by surpassing the natures of that which is lower than us so when we till and keep plants we bring them into participation in the rational nature right because wow. we're tilling and keeping them yeah. and turning them into something they can't turn into themselves they can't be rational we are rational, but when we act upon them according to our prudence, they participate in our prudence and as and, and in a sense become prudent, right? They become a part of the world that we construct. That's amazing. So we kind of, I think that maybe a common Catholic or maybe a well-blessed Catholic has this in catechesis of the Eucharist mm -hmm. where Christ deigns to be with us even to the point where we can consume him and thus begin to take upon yeah, right. us his nature right. but the reverse happens in the more mundane world saint thomas says when he talks about the original creation that the animals would have obeyed adam and eve directly and, and way, the yeah. reason why they would have obeyed they obeyed him was so that they could participate in his prudence right and his reason yes. Yes. because what he's doing uh, is ordering the world so he's tilling and keeping it he's subduing it and having dominion over it why What's the, what, what is Adam's orientation, Adam and Eve's orientation? They are in original justice and original sanctification, and they are worshiping God. And, and so what they're doing is ordering 
the things of the world, the animals and the plants, through their reason and their ration, their rationality and their creativity, in order to give glory to God in worship. So they're turning the world into one liturgical event or to one sort of temple event right, yes. and one liturgy. God creates this order, this dynamic hierarchical order and places man in it, not accidentally. These aren't accidental. It's not like a bunch of independent Lego blocks that then, what can I build with these things? Oh, I don't know. How about a garden? It's like, no, the, 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 it's all built as one thing. And but part of that thing is the creative rationality of, and freedom of man to build with it what they would in order to give glory to God. So the things participate in his reason and his holiness. So another way of thinking this would be in a traditional way would be his kingship and his priesthood. God creates a garden, a little starting point for Adam, but then we assume the mission is for Adam to, to extend the boundaries of this garden, sure, right? Yeah. To tilling and, and keeping yeah, and to, and to subdue right. all of creation yeah. and to have dominion over it. And so to order it in a sense and to worship of God, but the garden, what is it? It's the place where God walks with Adam. It's, and I guess not just with Adam, but, but also now with, with all of the creation, it's yes. the garden. That's what I'm saying. It's like, what is a temple? Is a place where God dwells with man. So the animals would the obey. The place where God dwells with man yeah. is in a world yeah. that Adam has built that's out of point. the plants and the animals and the creation that is given to him. And that's why they're there, right? Like that's the sure. reason for the animals and the plants. Like that's, that's the thing after which they want, they're grasping is to be brought right. up into the, into the life of man. And that's they to obey Adam. And that, so you think about the kind of the hierarchy, the water, the trees, the plants reach down to the minerals in the water and yep. bring them up into the life of the plant. Then the plant, now they're a part of the life of the plant. They're participating in, the, in life. Yeah. And then that is what, what are plants for? Plants are eaten by animals or are lived in by animals or, yeah. you know, and so when that happens, they participate in the life of, of consciousness. Right. And then the animals are ordered by, by Adam directly. I mean, that's what Thomas tells us. And so they're brought up into the life of reason, right? Into the life of wor the worship of God. And then through grace, Adam is elevated into the life of perfection with God. So the light, all, oh, all of creation is brought up into the life of the Trinity. And Adam is the sort of hinge, the key to it, because he's both spiritual and bodily. He's both animal and, and, and spiritual. Ooh, so um, along these lines, can I ask you about the naming account then? Maybe that's where you're yeah, going Yeah, no, great, great, yeah. great, yeah. Can I use a, I'm going to use an architecture, a kind of great, an extended architecture analogy, if that's okay. All right, you're probably going to teach me about something architectural <laughs> now too. So. No next to nothing. We've already, I've already mentioned the temple idea. All right, so let's just kind of stick with that idea. Yeah. The idea that what Adam's doing is building creation as a temple. So it's a piece of architecture. Architecture is for something. So we build something for a purpose. So an example would be like a house. What is a house for, right? And, and we can, and we, so what's its function, we might say. And we could be really kind of boring about it and say, oh, a house is to keep the rain off. A house keeps us warm. It protects yeah. us from animals. It protects us, you know, what, things like that. It's like, great. Okay, yeah, that's all true, obviously. But a, a steel shipping container would do all those things. <laughs> right sure so why aren't we living in steel shipping containers yeah why do we build no i mean that's like why do we build houses homes why because it's not merely function the form right of of the home is essential to it so the real the real function of a home is human flourishing say yeah and human and keeping the rain off us and the animals away from us is not enough for human flourishing we also need beauty we need to sit in a room and look at the lines and look at the, 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 the way the hallway extends into the next room or the way the, um, 
the molding that, you know, we need to see the windows, you know, the yeah. beauty of it, the light coming in is an aspect of our flourishing. So the form or the artistic nature of it is, is integral to the function. This is like what architecture is, is understanding that form and function are always intimately bound together. I, I think the sixties forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, but even sinister architecture understands this, like the way, um, you know, grocery stores are laid out and stuff in order to get people to shop more, right? Yeah. Or, or offices are laid or are, are designed to increase productivity. Totally. Right. Yep. Form and fun. They understand the relationship between form and function. Yeah. That, that opens up an immense amount of for human creativity within architecture. So within the, the sort of rigid practical needs, it's got to keep the rain off us. How does, how does it keep the rain off us? Well, as we see, there's an infinite number of buildings we could build, right? There's an infinite number of types of houses we could build that even contribute to human flourishing. So the human, the creativity in architecture, we can understand as being relative without being relativistic, right? Like the Japanese have a very different homes than we have because of a creative difference, they, in their rational creativity, have just created something distinct from us. But it does the same thing. Yeah. You can flourish in both. And in both cases, it's a combination of form and function that always are going together. Sure. But architecture is tied to reality. So we can't create, we can't build anything. Like if I, I, could, I could be an architect and go, oh, I'm imagining a floating house. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right. Or like a roof made of paper towels. Or, or or like that. Yeah, when yeah. That, it wouldn't work. It would yeah. break. Right. Because it's tied to the real things. It can't change the nature of the materials that we have. Yep. And so the way in which you build is by assessing the ability of the materials that are at your disposal and then what the house needs to accomplish. And then with your creative rationality, which is freedom, assembling it in a way that is totally unpredictable. Right. That is beautiful for you. And that beauty is relative in a sense. You don't have to say, because the Japanese have different homes than us, therefore one of us is superior and one is inferior in our home building, right? That's a ridiculous sure. thing to say. Yeah. You don't have to say that. We can say we're just, we can be different. Okay. The reason why that's so significant, that's a long extended sort of discussion, is if you think that Adam and Eve and the original primordial mission is to build a temple out of the world, that means that what they would have built, so they're doing exactly this. They're surveying the, the materials, which are all the things that are created according to their kinds, right? God creates things. And they're assessing what these things are and how can I assemble them in a tranquility of order, the sort of in peace and justice, the primordial understanding of justice or a very... That would be worthy of the presence That's of God. That's worthy of God to walk in with me. Yes. As a wow. temple for him. Beautiful. So how can I Beautiful create thought. this? How can I landscape this? What do I do with all of this in order for its function, which is, but that function isn't just a sort of crude materialistic function. It, it's also, it's like a home. It's for the worship of God. It's like a home is for human flourishing. So it has this artistic component to it, which is a part of what human beings as a rational animal are. We're artists, Right. We're not merely calculators. I, I can't, there's nothing that drives me more nuts than the idea that rationality is being like good at calculating. So I've worked on my multiplication what, tables what I think for, it, What I think nothing. a better understanding of what the rational nature really is, is that we participate in the nature of God enough in his rationality that when we see the things that he's created, we can't see their essences. We can't abstract from them 
at what they are the way God sees them. Those are the, the it's essence. The essence of a frog is the is God's idea of a frog. We can't access the mind of God. But what we can do because we participate in his reason is construct an analogy. We're not exhausting the essence of the frog. No, no. Yeah. What we're doing is creatively creating an analogy of its essence. The reason we do that is because of the project we're engaged in. So what we're engaged in is in building a temple for God to walk with us in the cosmos. The, building the cosmos as a, as a temple or extending the garden, we might say. So when, when Adam is surveying the things or the animals are brought before him and he's naming them, what he's doing is building the language or the plans, we might say, right. for the world he's going to build. A stone has its own nature. It has its own properties, right? That are sort of objective. Yep. But when Adam says... But now it's a cornerstone. That's a cornerstone. Yeah. Now he's named it. Yep. It's, it is a thing now. And that cornerstone, the meaning of the word cornerstone, like man, like woman, like... The meaning of cornerstone is within the context of an architecture. Adam is a creator of worlds. Wow. He's taking God's creation. And this is another part of the way in which he images God, because he's taking the creation that God has given us. And because he participates in the reason of God somewhat, he's capable of building a world out of this world that, and, and by rights without sin, that world that he's yeah. building is a worshiping, a gift back to God. So God wow. gives all of this down. Adam builds a new world out of it, a world that lives in his reason, that's participating in his creativity and his reason. And that is the world in which God dwells with creation, comes down and walks with us. Right? It's <laughs> a beautiful. gift back to God. That though, that world that he builds is Adam as a fundamentally social being. That's why it's language. He's naming, we're naming things. So the construction of our language, the construction of our categories, of our concepts that we're sharing with each other, that we're building together. These are socially constructed mechanisms, if you want to use that word. So now when we have a child, Adam, Adam names the rock a cornerstone. Okay, but when he and Eve have a child, to the child, it's just a cornerstone. Like the child is being now raised into the world that they are building. Yes. Right? And that's the world he sees, he lives in. Right? Yes, and so then the child might then start to raise the wall of the temple a little bit higher and he'll call, you know, he might have a flying buttress or something like yeah, right, that. Right, and, right. and then his child will only know that as a flying as buttress. As a flying buttress. That's right. now what it is. For me, I, I, I can jump straight from this sort of understanding into mm -hmm. Thomas's understanding of law. And so with like sort of primordial politics, because what he talks about is how human law is the determination or the specification of the natural law. The point would be this, we're building a house, we're building this temple and we have a door, the door has to be painted. What color should the door be, right? So the natural law, we might say, our reason tells us it needs to be painted. Let's just assume that to be the case, even though we can debate about that, but let's just, okay, for the sake sure, of argument. Sure, sure, sure. So that's what my wife tells me. We anyway. all agree yeah. on that for reasons, for whatever reason. Yeah. Now the question then is what color, right? Now, What's the right answer? We're a social being. We're living together in society. We've got, we're building this world together. We encounter a dilemma of some sort. A decision has to be made. Mm -hmm. are, are the arches going to be Roman arches? Or are they going to be Gothic arches? Are we going to paint the door red? Or are we going to paint the door green? Are we going to have three steps or five steps? You know, right? These are artistic sure. questions. Yep. So this is the realm of human law. 
right? So, so this is the realm where we say, well, there's no, there's no right answer. It's not like green is the right answer and red was wrong, but we, we have to pick one. And so gotcha. we specify the natural law or determine it for us. Yeah. So in our project, we're painting our doors green. Now, if we could imagine another community down the road in the next garden who is building, also building, they might pick red, right? Because they're creative and they're free and they paint their doors red. They have a different human law. Both are specifications of the natural law. Both are in harmony with the reason of God, but they're different. So human law can be relative, but not relativistic. You see, the thing about that is though, is that that then that legal structure, we might say, is sort of the, the, the social blueprints. And it's also our language. I think in the primordial state, there, there isn't a distinction between that, right? What we're building, what we're talking about, how we do it. You know, law is not in the primordial state. It isn't uh, disciplinary, right? There's no, there's no sin. It's, real, it's purely about informing people. It's, it's, it's intellectual. And so hmm. as, we, as, we, as we reproduce and as we raise new children into it, we're raising them into our law, which is our project, which is our construction project, which is our plans, which is the world that we're building, the way we see things, the way we name things, all of that. That's our, that's our law. It's all a determination that is a determination of the natural law, which is human participation in the eternal reason. Right. So it's all the way in which we participate in the eternal reason is by doing this. So within that, there's a need for decision making. There's a need for leadership. Right. There's a need for for different levels of virtue. Even as long as we don't posit vice, there's no vice. OK, so in the before the fall. But there would be, uh, you know, a child who's who's born hasn't been habituated into the world that we're building and the law by which we build it. And they have to be which is a, an education process, right? Right, yes. So there would have been instruction. We, that's why we in this garden are building things with green doors and the garden down the street are building them with red doors. I need to teach you about green doors because that's who we are, right? And you get raised, a child gets raised into that world. So there would have been a primordial politics, right? Like a, an order, mm. non-coercive, like I said, non-disciplinary, but pedagogical, intellectual, and that that political world would have not in any way been distinct from our primordial mission of subduing and having dominion, our priesthood and our kingship, and our fulfillment of the cosmos as a worshiping thing, as a liturgical thing. That's what our, that's what our political, our primordial politics would have consisted of. Right, that, that was the social project. Uh, Andrew, that was extraordinary. Thank you. Okay, thank really, you. Really, thank you so much. Thank you.